Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Hey, today on the podcast, we have the first uh, on a series of messages we're going to do over the season of Lent called Fellowship of the King. And this message is entitled Living by the Love of God. Over the next few weeks, we're going to grapple with what it means to be people living in this world who are living under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. What does that look like in the various aspects of our lives? Also, just a quick note, we begin 40 Days of Faith this Wednesday, so we encourage you to check out our online devotionals Monday through Friday. They'll begin starting this Wednesday. These devotionals... uh, Basically, are just readings and reflections on scriptures. You can take about 10 minutes out of your day to go through them in the morning or at night. And we hope that you'll find these helpful in your journey through this season of Lent. Well, that's about it for right now. So we're going to go ahead and head over to the talk. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. We're going to be wrestling with this issue of what does it mean to be people living in the kingdom of of God. Because Christianity is not so much about following a bunch of rules, but it's rather about the rule of King Jesus. See, a lot of people, I've bumped into a lot of Christians over the years that they try to make a bunch of rules about everything, but really it's not about following a bunch of rules, it's about one rule <laughs> the rule of King Jesus, letting him be our Lord. And how does that affect us in our everyday lives? So today, we're going to look at the whole book of 1 Corinthians. We did this a few weeks ago in our Bible class. Uh, We're not going to look at the whole thing, but we're going to do kind of a sweeping tour of the book of 1 Corinthians because I find that that the Apostle Paul, that's what he's trying to get the church of Corinth to do, is to live around the rule of King Jesus. And as you're going to notice, it it, it has some specific application in, in various areas. Now, probably the most one of the most famous parts of 1 Corinthians is... 1 Corinthians 13. Everybody heard of that chapter? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. I, I've had the chance of, of officiating some weddings over the past few years as a pastor now, and, uh, and I always incorporate 1 Corinthians 13 into my message because it's, it's, it's about love, right? You know, love is patient, love is kind, bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I, I, I can bet that if you go down to your local Christian bookstore, uh, what is it here, a simple goodness? Uh, They've probably got some cards with 1 Corinthians 13 on them. They've probably got bookmarkers with 1 Corinthians 13. If you're lucky, you might even be able to get an inspirational placard to hang up above the kitchen sink that has 1 Corinthians 13 listed out. And so there's no doubt that 1 Corinthians 13 is inspirational, but the problem is I find that a lot of people keep 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, as inspiration only. And what we're going to look at today is that really 1 Corinthians 13 is, while it may be inspirational, it was actually the high point of Paul's argument. Paul takes issue with the the church of Corinth over and over and over again, and 1 Corinthians 13 is the high point of his argument. So it's really not just inspirational, it's actually tied to some very specific circumstances and situations. So everybody, buckle your seatbelts. We're fixing to storm right through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. All right? First, I want to look at the first issue that Paul addresses, and this is in 1 Corinthians 10, I mean, 1 Corinthians 1, 
verses 10 through 3. Now, Paul said this. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Well, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? So the first issue Paul makes with with the church of Corinth is that they were dividing themselves among Bible teachers. Now, I know this is hard to imagine, but think of, like, I know this was 2,000 years ago. We know nothing about this nowadays. But imagine a group of people who so loved certain Bible teachers that they would actually divide over them. I know it's hard. It's hard to grasp that there would be divisions even back then. But these people were dividing themselves. Some of them were saying, hey, we're of Cephas, which is Peter. We're, we're in the Peter club. Because, you know, Peter was the guy that Jesus said upon this. You're Peter. You're rock. I'm going to build my church on you. So we go to the church that Jesus built, you know, the one on Peter. We're, we're a part of that club. And there's other people that say, well, forget Peter. I mean, the Apostle Paul, man, that guy, he wasn't a fisherman. I mean, he, he wasn't one of these regular guys. He was a theologian. I mean, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a leader before he got saved and before he met Jesus. He knows the Old Testament inside and out. We're following Paul. Well, some other people were like, forget Paul. Apollos, man. Apollos was this guy who was uh, noted for his oratory skills. He could preach it down. If anybody's read anything about Paul, there's, there's actually a story in, in Acts where Paul is preaching and a guy's sitting in the window, and he falls asleep, and he falls out the window and dies on the pavement, and they have to revive him, and then they revive him, and Paul keeps on preaching for another hour. <laughs> that shows you probably what you would get at with Paul. You know, I, I've noticed this. A lot of people who are good writers, not great communicators. Well, Paul might have been one of those people. But some people were like, forget Paul, man. He's boring. I hate hearing. I mean, his, his sentences go on for paragraphs and paragraphs. What about Apollos, man? When Paulus speaks, man, he, he preaches it down. You're on the edge of your seat. You don't want to go anywhere. And Paul says, look, why, why are you dividing over this thing? God has just used Paul and Peter and Apollos. He's used all these people to help you know God and step into his kingdom. But they're not, you don't need to get in clubs based on that. Do you have people in your life that are Christians that you disagree with? It's good to have some. <laughs> Just some of y'all, you're pointing at me. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the guy up front. Uh, <laughs> it's good to have people in your life that are Christians with whom you disagree. You know, when we were doing our Bible class recently, I, I, I did a series of, of a few blogs. I've got a blog that I update, and I, I, had, I put about six blogs on there. And one of my friends who's a pastor, he got on there and started commenting, and we went kind of back and forth, and he didn't agree with where I came down on some things. But that's cool. Actually, I told people in the class, go look at his comments and my comments, and you'll see that I'm right. No. (laughs) I didn't say it like that. Uh, No. Uh, (laughs) I said, said, go check it out, because I think it's important to know that, that two friends 
can, can go back and forth and even disagree with some things, but we're still friends. We still are brothers in the body of Christ. In, in fact, we went and had lunch. After a week of battling back and forth, we went and had lunch, and we're, we're best friends. We really are. We've been knowing each other for years. That's good. You can have disagreements with people in the body of Christ without making yourself into a club. Paul is saying when you do that, you're following along with the same old wisdom of this world. Actually, Paul is going to introduce this idea of the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God, um, starting in verse 18. Now, this is important, so pay attention. Verse 18, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, Paul is writing in, in the height of the Roman Empire. Now, what was Rome about? They were about might and power and pomp and circumstance. They were, I mean, they worshipped. They actually literally worshipped the Caesar. They were into all these displays of power. And along comes this little group of people called Christians. And they're following this guy named Jesus. Now, from the Roman perspective, Jesus looked like an absolute failure. He led a small ministry for three years, and even when it got up to a few thousand people, he had ways of saying things and running most of them off. And then, you know, when got near the end of his ministry, one of his, his inner circle betrays him, and then the rest of them leave him in the moment of his, his tribulation and pain. And then he's crucified in a publicly humiliating, brutal way by the might and power of Rome. As far as the Romans were concerned, these Christians, they were the most pathetic group of people on the planet. But Paul is saying what seems like foolishness to the rest of the world is actually the very power of God. Paul doesn't stop there. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. That's a way of of saying you, you aren't the brightest bunch. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. You've got to be a good pastor to, to say these kinds of things and have people still love you. <laughs> Paul's saying, you are the foolish things. And, and God chose you because you're foolish to confound the wise. <laughs> God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Paul's just saying, hey, look. God didn't choose you because you're the best and the brightest, okay? Let's clear that up. He didn't choose you because you had political connections, because you were wealthy, because you had it all together. He chose you because you're a mess. And he likes taking people who are a mess and broken and beat up and wounded, and he likes turning them into something beautiful. That's the wisdom of God. Now, to the outside world, it looks like absolutely foolishness. I mean, the early church, it was made up of a lot of the lower classes of society, slaves, people who who wouldn't get to do anything else, made up the church. But God was using that to shame the strong. It's the wisdom of God. And so this is important to Paul's whole, whole argument. He's saying there's the wisdom of this world, which is characterized by me, my pride, my arrogance, my power, my reputation. And then there's the wisdom of God, which is the low road. It looks weak, it looks foolish, it looks insignificant. But God says that, Paul says that's the very power of God. So, Paul begins developing this theme about wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. I want to say something here, because I think James put, echoes Paul's sentiment very well. James, 13, uh, James 3, 13 through 18. 
James writes this, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, from God's kingdom, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. See, see Paul is saying the way our world works it's divisive, it's me first, it's all these things. He said, but that's not the wisdom of God. That's, that's regular, old, ordinary wisdom. Or even worse, it's demonic. It's, it's seeking to destroy things. Paul says the wisdom of God, it looks like humility. It, you know what it looks like? It looks like Jesus. If you want to know what the wisdom of God looks like, it looks like Jesus. Now Paul goes on in chapter 3. Verse 1 to say this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not yet ready for it. Instead, you were still, indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere human beings? Do any of y'all have any like uh, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, three-year-olds, anybody in here? Thank God, not yet. <laughs> Four-year-olds, uh, yeah. Uh, if you don't have any, perhaps you've had one in your house before. I've never met a three-year-old that when you get home at the end of the day says, hey, how was your day? <laughs> you ever found that? They don't think like that. Or, hey, look, I noticed I haven't been cleaning up my room enough lately. I decided I would go ahead and make the bed. But, you know, <laughs> Or... You rarely ever see a three-year-old or even a four-year-old or five-year-old, for that matter, that, that just wants to share what they have, right? Whether it's French fries or Legos or anything. We start off selfish. We all think we're the center of the universe we, when, we're, when we're babies. And Paul is telling them in the Corinthian church, he said, you bunch of babies, I would love that we could go on into the deeper things of God. I would love it if we could move on to maybe how we could reach out into the community, maybe how we could grow in, 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 in our Christian walk. But I can't because you guys are acting like a bunch of babies. You think you're the center of the universe. You think everything exists for you. You think even God exists for you. But he says, that's not the case. I would love to go beyond that, but you've got jealousy and envy. You're still acting like everybody else in the world. Then in verse 16 of chapter 3, Paul says this. I need to open my Bible here. What did I say? Verse 18, 16. Okay, yeah. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Okay, here we are 
almost four chapters into the book of Corinthians, and, and Paul is still talking about this idea of the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. But now he brings it into a whole new dynamic. Paul says, you are God's temple. Now, it's unfortunate. Some translations of the Bible just say it like that. You are God's temple. And this is where I think Bible translators could learn something from us in the South. Because the best word here, the best translation would be, y'all are the temple. Y'all. One of these days, we are going to come out with our own Bible version here shortly. (laughs) No, I was that funny. No. Uh, Y'all are the temple of God. And Paul, what, what is Paul getting at here in the context of everything he's saying? This isn't a solo endeavor. Y'all are the very dwelling place together, not just you. See, I used to read this when I was a new Christian. I, it'd say, you are the temple. And I was like, oh, it's just me. It's about me and God. And, but that's, that's totally the opposite of what Paul's getting at. Paul's getting at the togetherness. You know, last year, I got to go to Israel and... One day we were getting ready to go to, the, to Jerusalem to go see the um, Western Wall, the Dome of the Rock, the Temple Mound. It's, it's the most contentious piece of real estate on planet Earth. The Muslims, the Jews, the Christians, everybody has fought over this. And we were going to go see the oldest church building in history built by uh, Constantine's mother uh, called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And so that day they asked me, they found out I was a pastor. They said, oh, can you lead us in a devotional? I'm like, oh, great. What do I do? Uh, what kind of devotional? And the, what I ended up feeling like God was putting on my heart was the conversation we talked about the last couple of weeks of the Samaritan woman and Jesus. And the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, are, are we supposed to worship in this temple here in Jerusalem or on this holy mountain over here? You Jews say this temple. Uh, we Samaritans say here. And Jesus says, guess what? You're, you're in on a good day. Because there's coming a day, and it it, it starts right now, when those who worship me will worship me in spirit and in truth. You will worship God by his spirit. Jesus is saying that that where you worship doesn't matter. It's it's not going to be a physical location anymore. That was revolutionary. Even the pagans, forget, forget the Jews, they would go to the temple, but the pagans, they had their own temples. Everybody had their own sacred places. And, And now... We see Paul saying, not Jerusalem, not the temple to Athena, but you, you guys are all, y'all are the temple. And Paul says, if anyone destroys this temple, God's going to destroy him. In context of what Paul's getting at, he says, he's talking about the sins between people. He's talking about things like jealousy, backbiting, anger, divisiveness. You bring that stuff into the temple, you are, you're messing with it. You're messing with the, you know, it's like a building. If you start, you know, taking rocks out here and there and making things weak, it won't hold together. Paul says, y'all are the temple. Start acting like it. Start acting like God dwells in your midst. Okay, from this point, I won't get into everything that Paul covers because unless you, y'all want me to go another hour and a half? All right. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a pizza. <laughs> the last service. You know, I'm I'm getting close to being done. And Dan, one of Dan's kids, Aaron, was over here, and he happened to be sitting up near the front, and he said, uh, "Daddy, how much longer is this going to take?" Right when I, right when I paused, like I got to a, a, a pause, and I said, "I can go on all day, Aaron. I'll take this thing." <laughs> 
after Paul talks about them being the temple, he goes on to address things such as arrogance, people who question his apostolic authority. He, he, he takes issue with sexual sin in the church, lawsuits between Christians. Again, this is another, another issue of division. Not only were people divided, but now they were taking each other to court. And Paul's like, why are... I mean, understand, the church of Corinth, it wasn't like you had a church on every quarter. It was one church, okay? And Paul's saying, why are you guys in church taking each other to court in front of a bunch of pagans? How are they going to think about God when they see that you guys can't even get along? You're suing each other for damages. He said, why don't you find some arbiter in your midst, somebody who you can trust, and let them kind of be the go-between? And if you can't, why don't you just let yourself get ripped off? At least you would represent God better. (laughs) Why don't you just take the low road like Jesus and get cheated? That's living under the rule of Jesus. He goes from there to talk about food, sacrifice to idols. Now, this is not an issue that we typically deal with in modern America. But basically, the point is, some people, you know, after they come, they live, understand Corinth, they had a temple there that had a thousand priestesses. They had temple prostitutes. I mean, very pagan culture. You'd go down and you know, hook up with the local temple prostitute, bring your sacrifice there. So it, it was a, a, a very different world than the world we live in. But the problem was once you, you know, became a Christian, if you wanted to go get food in the market, you would, you know, a lot of the meat that was in the market had been sacrificed to Zeus or Athena or Caesar. And so for a lot of Christians, that was, you know, coming out of that stuff, they're like, ah, I'm, I'm going to be a vegetarian feather because I don't want to, I don't want to do something that affects my relationship with God. But Paul goes on to say, look, if you've gotten to a point in your faith where you're okay, it's just meat. It's okay. You know that the, the ones they're worshiping aren't really God. And so if you buy it, don't ask where it comes from, just eat it. But Paul goes on to say, if, if you see somebody that has a weak conscience, then don't try to push your own right to have meat just because you're okay with it when somebody else isn't. You cause them to stumble. You cause them to offend their conscience. So again, Paul is saying, take the low road. The wisdom of God is you push your own rights down because you love other people. You see a theme developing here? Anybody? Shout me down all at once. Okay. Now, I wanna, we're going to dig into the last two things before we end. Paul comes to the subject of communion. Now we're in 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Paul says this, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Boy, how would you like that? The guy who started your church to come back, and he's like, Look, you're, you're actually destroying more people by getting together on Sunday morning than, than you are doing good. It's actually more detrimental for people who get around you guys. That's bad. You went to that church. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Paul says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. <laughs> I just, I love to imagine the, the Corinthian church getting together. You know, it's like, 
Somebody shows up with a couple of bottles of wine. Somebody shows up with bread. And then the poor people who don't get there till later, they get nothing. Everybody's full and drunk. (laughs) And Paul says, what's going on here? You're getting together to celebrate communion, but none of y'all is thinking about anybody else. You're just eating bread and drinking wine. And he's like, there are people, particularly poor people in their community who are showing up late and they get nothing. They don't get to take communion. They're on the outside. And Paul's like, dude, <laughs> you're, you're missing it. <laughs> dude. <laughs> Paul says, don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. So then... Verse 27, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread or drink the cup. For those who eat and drink the cup without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why so many are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if you were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. You know, I used to hear when it was time to take communion, people say, you know, it's, it's time for you to, to, to get introspective and think about the sins in your, your heart and confess them to God. I always thought about that kind of like I thought about the verse, you are the temple. I'm the temple. I just need to confess my sins. But in context of everything Paul is saying, do you, do you understand the dimension that's going on? It's not just about you and God when you come to communion. Particularly in this instance, Paul is saying you don't discern who the body of Christ is. Who's the body of Christ? You. <laughs> You, guys, you community, you temple of God, you are the people that represent the body of Christ on planet Earth. And when you take communion, you're not, you're not discerning that. You think, oh, it's just me. Uh, God, I'm sorry for cutting that guy off in traffic yesterday. Uh, sorry I cussed at my kids. Uh, whatever. Take the communion. Paul is saying, no, it's not just confessing things privately to God. It's understanding I'm connected to Zach. And Zach's connected to to Mike. We are all brothers and sisters in this. We're all connected. My walk with God is not just me and God alone, Lone Ranger kind of thing. I tried that for many years, but that's, that's not New Testament Christianity. I'm a part of a body. I'm a part of a group of people that are gathered around God. And so I need to, if I've got an issue with Zach... Or if I've got an issue with Mike or Barry or whoever, or if they got an issue with me, we have to walk through that. I got to deal. I can't let unforgiveness just keep going in my heart if I get offended. I can't just go talk behind somebody's back. I can't just be judgmental because these are my brothers and sisters. This is the body of Christ. And Paul says, when you go to communion, stop being selfish. Stop being divisive. Realize that you're a part of a community gathered Around Jesus. You get what he's saying here? He goes on from that to develop this this picture of, of the body of Christ. In chapter 12, verse 12, he says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized 
by one spirit to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even the body, even so the body is not made up of one part but of many. Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, the, the reality of what Jesus did that was, it was particularly evident in this time of the world is that whether you're a Jew or a Greek, a male or female, slave or free, in Christ, you've all been made one. So to divide things up among you know, the rich or poor or slave or free or, it, or spiritual gifts or this preacher or that preacher or this teaching or I got here first is to, to disregard the reality of the kingdom and what Jesus came and did. It's to live just outside of that reality. He says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if an ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, it would look like that guy from Monsters Incorporated. Uh, Mike Wazowski. Uh, <laughs> where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. He goes on in verse, verse uh, 25 to say um, that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. See, Paul's saying everyone in the kingdom has a part. We all have a part. You know, when we started this church a couple of years ago, you know, I, I, I feel like my giftings are pastoring, teaching, maybe leading worship. But there's some things that not only am I not gifted at, I like really suck at. Like I'm just bad at, like business, real estate. <laughs> so we get Al LeBlanc, who's a lawyer, and he did our incorporation papers. Yay. Well, we wanted to take out this wall a few months back. I didn't come up here with a sledgehammer. I said, I am good at destroying stuff. But... <laughs> I called Dan up, and Dan came over here, and he did it. And thank God that Dan did it. We've all got different giftings. And, and it's like Al told me today. He's like, look, I realize my gifting ain't singing, but, uh, uh, you know, we're going to let you do that. We all have giftings, but our temptation many times is to get caught up, get our identity in our giftings, and to, to start dividing over those things. Oh, I've got the gift of healing, or I've, I've got the gift of teaching, or I've got this spiritual gift, and we start getting proud or cocky about it. Or the flip side, have you ever experienced this before? I'm not as gifted as that person. I, I wish I could I wish I wish could pray for people like that. I, I can't. You know, I, I wish that I could talk up in front of people like that, or I could play the bass like that, or this or that. You know, we start comparing ourselves. And Paul's saying, either way, that, that's a ditch on both sides of the road. Realize that God's called you to be who you are and given you gifts that, that may be different from other people. Find where you fit and don't try to get out of that. 
Now you are the body of Christ. Again, you should probably say y'all. Y'all are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So after all of that, Paul has started off by confronting them about dividing up among different Bible teachers. He's, 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 he's called them uh, babies for, for not moving in the wisdom of God. He's, he's identified situations such as lawsuits in the church, people who are offending other people's consciences, uh, people who are uh, being selfish when it comes to communion, and people who are getting their identity and their gifts and forming clubs based on that. After all of that, now we reach the high point of Paul's argument. You ready for it? Y'all ready? Y'all ready for this? Paul says in chapter 13, If I speak with human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying, look, it don't matter how gifted you are in faith, in healing, in prophetic words, social justice. It doesn't matter. If you miss the love part, you've missed it all. Paul's dealing with a church that had a lot of gifts, obviously, but they didn't have a lot of love. And Paul's saying, you're just making noise. You're just making noise. You're cluttering up the landscape with your noise. Paul goes on to say, But love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. And where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. I love what Paul says here. He says, look, when I was a child, I acted like a child too, (laughs) okay? I identify with you. I know what that's like, okay? I know what it's like to be selfish and to get all wrapped up in your own giftings and to make your own little club. But I grew up, and now I'm living by the law of love. I'm living by the wisdom of God. Because see, what we see in this passage, if you trace Paul's argument all the way from the beginning of the book till now, we see that love is, Love is really 
the greatest example of the wisdom and the power of God. You want to know what wisdom looks like? It looks like love. You want to know what power looks like? It looks like love. I want to close by asking these questions. Have you ever found yourself getting arrogant or prideful because of the teachers, preachers, ministries you follow or because of the group of which you may be a part? You ever done that? Have you ever defined yourself and your group over against other groups? Have you ever demanded your rights even when it had the possibility of hurting the conscience of other Christians? Have you ever taken communion and failed to recognize the importance of your connection to fellow believers, seeing them as the body of Christ? Have you ever become puffed up because of your own spiritual gifts or felt like less than others because you may not have such spectacular gifts? Have you ever failed to realize that you and the gathering of other Christians around Jesus are the very temple of God, the very place where God dwells? Have you ever thought that your relationship with God was not just a solo endeavor? I have to admit, I can answer yes to every one of those things. Sometimes numerous occasions. (laughs) But when I'm being led by love, I don't have to get caught up in defining myself by my favorite teachers, authors, or doctrines. In fact... When I'm being led by love, I can hear the truth even when it comes from folks with whom I might have philosophical or theological disagreements. When I'm being led by love, I can accept truth from anybody. When I'm motivated by God's love, I don't demand my right to do this thing or that thing, but I consider other people. When I'm living around the reality of Christ's love, I take the Lord's Supper realizing that I'm a part of a community of people who make up the body of Christ and that I need others in my journey just as much as they need me. I can't let unforgiveness or selfishness rule for I am now under the rule of Jesus Christ. When I'm aware of God's love for me, then I can treat spiritual gifts as just that. Gifts and not as badges or trophies. I can also receive from those who might be more gifted than me in certain areas without feeling jealous or too proud to receive because I see the same love is gifting and giving through that person. Paul says, let me show you a better way. It's the way of love. If you're in the church of Jesus and you've got jealousy and competitiveness and pride and, and you're, you're struggling with getting your identity wrapped up and who you follow or what giftings you have, you're missing, you're missing what it's about. This morning, we want to, I, I think the, the best response that we could do is just to take communion. And to realize that, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the temple, that, that we are connected to one another. And let our lives be oriented around that reality. Faith, could you come up and play a little uh, music for us? As Faith begins to play, I want you to just make your way up front and grab the elements, and we're going to take communion together.
morning we take this bread that represents the body of Jesus that was broken for us broken that we might be put back together not just internally but relationally around him this bread stands for the reality that that in Christ we we are all made one Jews Greeks Gentiles men women we're all united around Christ Jesus. So this morning we take this bread, your body broken, that is our healing. We take it as one people, your body, Lord, your temple. In Jesus' name. thank you for this cup that represents the new covenant, God. 
Lord, we thank you that you didn't choose us because we were good enough or smart enough or had enough connections, God, but, but you've chosen the foolish things, the weak things, to shame the wise. Lord, we thank, we thank you that we get in not based on our own works, but based on the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to live in the humility of that act. Lord, we didn't earn this. It's just an act of your mercy, your grace. Lord, let us not get puffed up in pride towards others. Let us not hold accounts. Let us extend the same forgiveness, the same love, the same patience that you have extended to us, Lord Jesus. We take this cup. So, Lord, this morning I pray a blessing on this church. I pray you'd bless us to live a life that is oriented around your love. Lord, that we wouldn't live as the kingdoms of this world by just trying to go me first. We wouldn't live by our own pride, our own reputation, our own stuff, even our own giftings. Lord, but our identity would solely be in you, God. Make us a people of grace, a people of love, a people of forgiveness. Lord, that when the surrounding area looks at this church, they, sure, they would say that surely God dwells in the midst of them. Surely they are the people of God. Bless us to move into that reality. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.